Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Hey, all right. Thank you so much for having us. Really appreciate that. Uh, yeah, I really do feel like this is family. So I, uh, along the lines of what Pastor Tim was saying, I am your weird Chinese uncle. We all need one. And uh, that's me. Um, so excited to be at the Father's house. I, I wanted to just introduce you to my family because um, they're the thing I'm most proud of in life. First of all, it's kind of awkward that you invited me to speak in the sermon series called Heart Attack, asking a chubby guy to preach on heart attack right after Thanksgiving. I don't know what you're saying, bro, but I, you know, I was like, what do you want me to preach on? Gluttony? You know, he's like, well, I didn't want to say anything, but uh, um, anyways. My family, I got a picture of them. I chose this picture because my youngest son smile. It's the best. And he dressed himself this day, which is why he's wearing a PJ mask. Um, that's uh, actually pajama shirt. But anyways, my wife, Corey, we've been married like 16 years, almost 17 years. We have four children. Um, we're raising them in San Francisco just to prove to you all it is possible. You can do it. Have a lot of kids. You know, uh, I mean, if you can stay single for the kingdom, do that. <laughs> it's a lot easier. Um, focus on Jesus, build the kingdom. We need you. We need single people. You're not second-class citizens. But uh, if you are married, they have a lot of kids, you know, uh, you can do it. And, and uh, we have, th you know, four kids. I have three boys, one girl. I figured as a good Asian father, I'm going to name my boys. Malachi, the oldest. God's messenger. Micah, who is like Jehovah. I ran out of M's, uh, and, and Levi was a little bit of a surprise, so we went with the L, Levi, which means harmony with God. So I named the boys. I mean, that's what a good Asian dad does. And then I said, you know, we have one girl. She's like perfect in every way, but Corey, it's your honor. She named her Maya, which means Rice Valley. <laughs> of no significance, but you know now who to pray for in our family emotional and unstable. I had a guy come up one time I said that at a church. He's like, no, 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 I got a, I got a prophetic word for you about the Valley of Rice. And I was like, I receive it. Um, one thing I was just going to say just right off the bat, Pastor Tim and, and Pastor Robin are so gracious to us. You guys have really supported us since the day we started Mobilize Love. And so what I wanted to do to circle back around to thank you is to really invite you on, on some of the rows there, you'll see this simple invite. It's the only like little commercial I'm gonna do, but Mobilize Love really is just a fleet of outreach trucks that goes to communities. And really our hyper-focus is we wanna just serve children, youth, and families in our city. Uh, that's kind of how we're hyper-focused because hey, 64% of born-again Christians make a decision for Christ before 18. If we're gonna fish for men and Jesus calls fish, why not fish where they bite the children? And so we built these trucks. We have a food truck and a wellness truck and a stage truck and another, a laundry truck. It's a mobile laundromat on wheels. You guys gave to that. They, like we don't, we don't have a slush fund. I don't have a rich Chinese uncle from Shanghai that's wiring me money, giving me, you know, um, die, you know Baidu stock or anything like that. Like literally it's, it's the support and generosity of your church. That's why, you know, it is important to tithe to this house. It is important to give to this house because you are supporting these kind of efforts. So all that to say on Wednesday, December 11th, you can come see the trucks firsthand. It's not a fundraiser. We're just gonna just thank everyone that's given so far and cast a little vision about what we're gonna do next year. That's the only commercial. Grab one of these and join us. All right, we are in the middle of a heart attack series. <laughs> That's what it's called. And so in an attempt to kind of stick close to the series theme, you know, I realized that it might be a good idea, it might be a good idea to just realize what does make a heart sick? 
You know, in Proverbs 13 too, it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. In other words, one thing that can make your heart sick is when your hope is delayed or deferred. A sick heart is when, when, it's when you have a longing, but it's never fulfilled. And with that in mind, it's vital to know that, you know, what do you do when your hopes are deferred, when your hopes are dashed, when your dreams are crushed, or when your longings aren't fulfilled? What are you supposed to do in those moments? What happens when you're disappointed, disenfranchised, or when your expectations aren't met? I mean, theologically speaking, you could say this way. What do you do when you build a $1.4 billion arena and you're the worst team in the NBA? Goodness gracious. Seriously, what do you do when you got all this hope and ambition and you build a $1.4 billion arena and you, you're the worst team? In the, what do you do in those moments? You know, my son, like a few games into the season, he's like a basketball fanatic. He knows guys that sit on the bench and their stats. He's just weird like that. And so, he, you know, we watched the first few games. I gave up like after game six, you know, and my son, he would watch the first few, he goes, you know what, you know what, dad, you know, I'm going for the Clippers this year. He said it so emphatically, so passionately. He's like, you know, I'm, I'm not, and, and it just dawned on me, you know, I will emphatically hit you later. And I did, and I spanked him, and I put him back in line because it dawned on me, you know what? My kids, he was born in 2009, and 2009 is when we signed Steph Curry. So he only knows the good things of the Warriors. You don't know the heartaches before 2009. See, in life, son, there's ups and downs, not just ups and ups. And I realized this generation and this church, and we all need to know what happens when we hit a lull. Like, like, what do you do when your hopes are dashed? When, when, when Micah, the honeymoon phase of the Warriors is over, son. It's time to rebuild. What do you do? You don't cut and run. What happens when you sign up for one thing? It turns out to be another. Literally, hope deferred can lead to depression. It can lead to anxiety, panic, physical sickness. Literally, you're, you can have physical sickness from your hopes being deferred so long. Then I thought about this church, you know, Pastor Tim, Pastor Robin, when I first met them, man, a ball of energy. Like, I, like I, it takes me a long time to, I haven't slept in 14 years because of my kids, seriously. And so, like I came to church this morning, Pastor Robin's up there firing up the dream team, you know, uh, uh, Pastor Tim's walking in with his, with his gray, like trench coat, you know, looking like the Keanu Reeves and everything, like, just like, man. And they just have energy on energy. I was like, dude, I need another cup of coffee. And so, um, and I remember that's, they're the exact same people three years, but when I first met them and, and, and I remember, wow, here's a couple so on fire, so on mission, and they want to plant in the sunset. And I always told my wife, if we ever planted a church, it would be in the sunset district, but I'm not a pastor. I don't, I don't have, the, I'm more of an evangelist, you know, I don't, I don't have a, anyways, um, <laughs> like people try to like, you know, tell me their problems. I'm like, let's just go eat or reach people, you know? Um, but Pastor Tim and Pastor Rob, they're great pastors. They love you guys through and through. Now, I get to witness what God's doing in this church. I pop in every now and then, but then I think to myself, well, what happens when you have a church that's so new, honeymoon phase? My best friend uh, planted himself and his family here and he goes, man, this is the best church I've been to like ever. And I'm like, you know, and I believe that. But what happens when you hit the lull, when you get offended, 
When Pastor Tim preaches something, it hits your heart. Or Pastor Robin didn't accidentally, she, she didn't, she, accidentally she didn't see you and then you took that as an offense and you walk away. What are you going to do at that point? When the honeymoon phase is over of even a new church or in your personal life, you've lost hope. You're confused. You're not bearing fruit. Occupationally, emotionally, spiritually, you thought you'd be here, but you're really here. Well, I want to encourage you with just two simple thoughts today. The first is stay put. Stay put. Don't cut and run, stay put. And then secondly, stay close to Jesus' commands. So first of all, stay put. For many of you, see, the first response when times get tough is to escape. Like for, you know, like how in the world do I just get out of this situation? To be honest, that's my go-to. I, I love escaping, especially when I'm super pressured, I feel overwhelmed. I, the only thing I want to do is just get out of the situation. It reminds me actually a lot of Aaron in the book of Exodus. If you don't know the story, Moses and Aaron were called to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, into the promised land. And Moses is the intermediary between God and the people. So Moses goes up to this mountain to figure out God's commands for the people. And Aaron being second in command, as Moses goes up to the mountain, now Aaron's in charge. And there's like a million people that he's leading. Moses, the main leader, has gone. So the second leader, Aaron's just standing there. And then the people start getting angsty. They're like, man, Moses is taking a long time. Exodus 32, verses 1 through 2, it says this. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around the next guy, Aaron. And they said, hey, Aaron, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. Aaron answered them, take off your gold earrings that your wives, your sons, your daughters are wearing, bring them to me. So all the people brought their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then he said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Aaron buckled under pressure. When God called Moses to talk to him, it was taking a while. And because it was taking a while, the people grew impatient. They were stressed out. When the people grew impatient, they forsook the real God, for a false god. Q. Taylor Swift, the false god. Best song on the album. <laughs> Under pressure, Aaron, he buckled. He took a shortcut. He fell short and he sinned. This is our human nature because we're angsty individuals. We're always impatient. We always want to be doing something. Even when God says to just wait, we feel like we're unproductive. And so we want to just get on with something else. We don't want to wait on God. We'd rather make an idol than have the real connection. So we don't like it when our hopes are deferred, our dreams are, 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 are dashed. We want it now. And if it's not happening now, we want to work harder to make it happen now. We want to manipulate. See, the world's mantra is this. Don't just stand there. But you know, in the kingdom of God, it's just the opposite. In the kingdom of God, it's don't just do something. Stand there. Did you know that? It is. The, the power is in actually being still and standing still. Exodus 14, 14, God said, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. You know, I, I would venture to say it's, it's harder to stay put than to do something. I would actually venture to say it takes more faith and discipline to stay put than to keep going and trying something new. Think about it. To effectively stay put, you really have to be strong on the inside. See, that's where Aaron fell short. He, he caved under the pressure of people. They were growing angsty, and because he didn't have anything within, 
he, he buckled outwardly. Moses, he knew God within. He talked to God face to face. Aaron didn't have that. And so he was like, yeah, 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 let's just make a calf real quick. He buckled because on the inside, he didn't have the, the inner strength. And from that place of in, internal security and confidence, you have to fight the pressure to produce. See, to stay put, you have to fight the pressure to produce. This whole world will tell you, man, if you're not married by like 30, what's wrong with you? If you don't have kids by like 35, what's going on? You should be here at this age in your career. And it's all this pressure for us to produce. And if we're not careful and we don't wait on God, you'll just, you'll, you'll settle for a false God instead of waiting for the real thing. The test in God's eyes is in your faithfulness. You see, God called Noah to build an ark and he was ridiculed for years. For a year, you know how long it takes to build an ark? Have you ever built Ikea furniture? No, for real. And that's prefabricated materials with the exact amount of screws, with the instructions. Like Noah had to build a freaking ark, okay, for all the animals with no instruction sheet. But, and he was ridiculed for years. Pressure from his neighbors. Pressure from his in-laws. Come on, somebody. Anybody? <laughs> pressure from his wife. Pressure from his kids. What the heck are you doing, Noah? Have you lost your mind? I mean, even Kanye said it, right? Before the flood, there was, Malachi was supposed to help me with the lyric, but he's asleep, all right. But there was pressure before the flood. They, you know, everyone was pressuring Noah. But you know what, Noah, he had internal security. He said, no, I've heard from the Lord. I gotta stay faithful. And he fought the external pressure and he just stayed put, he stayed faithful. And at the end, when it rained, he was the one that was actually the smart one out of everyone. When God called Dan, David, he, he was anointed at 13 and then was on the run for over 16 years, pressured by 300 mighty men, mighty soldiers who were just like, man, you're supposed to be the king by now. I'm tired of following you cave to cave. Will you just kill this guy, get it over with so we can go to the throne? And David's like, nah, it's gonna actually take a little more time. We gotta remain faithful. Do you know how much, do you have the internal security you have to have in God to just wait? John the Baptist, he was even disenfranchised in prison. He's like, look, I can't take it anymore. Cousin, you know, Jesus, are you the real Messiah or not? Because I'm over here in prison about to get beheaded. And Jesus is like, just wait. I mean, it didn't really end well for him, but nonetheless, he waited. Have you ever wondered why there's so much pressure when God calls you to faithfulness? Do you want to know why? I'll tell you exactly why. Because when God calls you, he will equip you. And we all shout amen to that. But you know what he equips you with? Raw materials. <laughs> See here, well, all right, let's go. I feel like I'm preaching the tenderloin again. Look, in the tenderloin, if you don't shout amen, I don't know if you've passed out OD'd or whatever. You know, you got to like... You gotta shout me down because it'll speed things up. Well, now, when God calls you, he says, okay, I want you to do this and I want you to stay faithful. And here's the thing, I I'm gonna let you just kind of germinate in that a little bit and, and, and I won't speak to you for a while. I just wanna test your faith. Like, will you endure? And then on top of that, yes, he will equip you, but with raw materials. When God calls someone, he gives them raw materials. He doesn't hand out the finished product. He gives us the raw material of seed, light, Dirt, water, God is the God of raw materials. God, when God called Noah, he didn't give him a boat. He gave him the forest. We said, God, I, I don't want the seed and the dirt and the raw materials. I want Ikea. 
I want it to be prefabricated in a box, hour and a half, I want to be done with it. And God says, no, 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 no. We want God to give us everything in a box, the instructions, the tools, and God says, no, that, that's not what the kingdom is like. In fact, in Mark 4, verses 26 to 29, it says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. The kingdom of God is a slow thing. And it takes a while. It's like seed. The kingdom of God, you know, th this is a microwave generation, but God is the God of the crock pot. He is slow. He, I mean, you know, this generation, you, know, you, you want the rice cooker. I just want to plug it in. And blah, blah, blah. No, no, God cooks rice in an actual pot. Y'all don't even know the difference. I had to teach my wife. It took 16 years of discipleship to get my white wife to cook Asian rice. And I'll tell you what. She's got it down. Amen. Hence my girth. Anyways, God provides seeds, not prefabricated products. My wife, the godliest person I know, seriously, she's the most Christ-like person I know. And if anyone knows me, you know what I'm saying is true. She prayed for a mature man of God for a husband. How did God reply? By giving her raw seed by giving her an underdeveloped, immature, broken, little chubby Asian dude. I was telling my wife that line, she goes, little and chubby don't go together, it's oxymoron. And I was like, you know what, just, God is using my immaturity to develop her. I'm a seed, I'm growing, it's a slow process. We pray for the finished product. We pray for the after photo, the final outcome, not realizing that if God gave you all you asked for right now as a finished product, you wouldn't have the character to sustain it. He's working first in you. It's not the things, it's your heart. And then when your heart's ready, you'll start to see the kingdom of God is like seed. It's like dirt. It like takes a while and then it buds. And then, and then eventually there's this harvest, but then your heart is ready for it. God works through seasons. He works through seasons. See, in addition to being equipped with raw material, you know what creates more pressure when God calls you to faithfulness? In addition to just like having this raw, he then subjects you to seasons. Oftentimes I think about how God works in our lives and even on this earth, and I'm reminded that, that God's work has no shortcuts. This is like one of the mantras of our family. I tell my family all the time, my, my kids, there's no shortcuts in life. There's just no shortcuts. My son, he tries to get all the answers on his homework sheet by skipping the reading and trying to find that word in the big old book. And I said, there's no shortcuts. It's going to take you three times as long. Just read the darn assignment. Then the answers will come. There's no shortcuts. Same thing with God. Same thing in his kingdom. There's no shortcuts. There are basic principles God has established on the earth and you can't bypass it. In Genesis 8:22, it says this, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. That's how God works. That's how God works. He works through seasons. He works through first there's seed time, then there's harvest. It reminds me of the Hillsong song called uh, Seasons. If you haven't heard that song, man, oh man, you got to download on the way home. Um, seasons because it says, I can see the promise. I can see the future. You're the God of seasons. I'm just in the winter. 
If all I know of harvest is that it's worth my patience, then if you're not done working, God, I'm not done waiting. You see, you can see my promise even in the winter because you're the God of greatness even in a manger. For all I know of seasons is that you take your time. You could have saved us in a second. Instead, you sent a child. How did God work the salvation plan on the earth? How did God destroy Satan's work? By sending a vulnerable baby. He didn't send a grown son of God on a white horse with a, with a, with a thing in his hand, a sword in his hand. That's, that's revelation. He will come like that. But when he first came to, 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 under, to, to destroy the devil's work, he came as a baby, susceptible to colds and hunger and sickness. Could God have, done us, uh, could God have saved us in a second? Absolutely. But even God himself had to be subjected to the seasons. Why? But why does God call us to this long enduring process? Why does God allow our hopes to be deferred? Why does God allow us to almost get heart sick by making sure our dreams, it seems like they're death? Why does God allow that? Because God's goal for your life isn't often the goal you have for yourself. Did you know God's goal in everything, his ultimate goal is to make you look like Christ, to conform you into the image of Christ. That's why you have to kind of go through seasons of suffering. Seasons of, now this is in prosperity gospel because, you know, I, I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher. Man. There are seasons where you literally suffer for a while. There are seasons where you are delayed for a while. Why? Because God is conforming you. You can understand what Christ, there are seasons where you're betrayed for a while. Why? Now you understand what Christ was like to be betrayed by one of his best friends to have his friends scatter when he needed them most. God wants you to look like Christ. Now, why is it important to fight this pressure to stay put, this pressure to produce and the pressure to just stay put because there's a difference between real fruit and fake fruit. It really is the difference. Folks, I just wanna tell you this, you cannot microwave fruit. No matter how hard you try, you can't throw seeds in a microwave and expect fruit to come out. It's just one of those things where you gotta plant it and stick around and wait. So my, my, my encouragement to you, don't be driven by external forces to produce something that only the spirit can produce. Don't revert to cheap substitutes like Aaron. Don't buckle under pressure, just sit there. And if the crowd is bothering you, just close your eyes, throw on some worship music and just wait on God. Just wait, it's worth it. Number one thing I tell millennials, stay put in your marriage. Just stay put, dude, trust me, just stay put in your job, just, gosh darn it, stay put. What is wrong with you? I don't like the way my boss talks. God teaches you how to and how not to, all right? Seriously, and if you can learn how not to from your boss, good, stay put. I don't like this church anymore, man. They've really changed. Pastor Tim, man, those, those jeans are getting skinnier and skinnier and skinnier. I gotta, you know. Dude, you're so, you're so hot. Um, I'm just jealous. You know, in the new heavens, I'll get a new body. But anyways, Pastor Tim was up here just like, wow. And then Malachi goes, don't do that, dad. You'll rip your pants. Anyways, uh, what was I even saying? Stay put. Even in the church, stay put. You know, um, the last song, I, I like to inter interweave some songs so you can go home. It's more than scriptures, but uh, the, you got to download the song. The Four Seasons of Loneliness by Boys to Men. You know what I'm saying? Anybody? In comes the winter breeze that chills the air and hits the snow. Uh, and I imagine kissing you under the mistletoe. 
Springtime makes its way here hard. Okay, no one knows that. But uh, the seasons of loneliness, seasons of loneliness, seasons. If your relationship can't even make it past four seasons, like don't cut and run right now. Wait for the seasons to pass. Now, as it relates to this church, you know, I, I wanted to, I, I really felt strongly to say this because see, there, there's the, like the church purists who are just like, uh, how much time do I have? Oh, I got, okay, perfect. The, the church purists, right, they say like, okay, like, they're like, oh, we don't need lights. We don't need fog machines. We don't need, you know. By the way, cage-free drummer. I like that. Very organic church. You know Pastor Robin has her fingerprints all over this church. Very organic. We're going to have cage-free drummers. We're going to have organic pianists. And in the green room, only kale. All right. Um, I was like, dude, where the heck's the dim sum? You know, anyways. So then there's people that look at a church and be like, we don't need all this stuff. We just need to go back to Acts 2. Yeah, Acts 2, 42 to 47. The church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, to prayer. And everyone was filled on. There was miracles and people were eating together. And they had everything in common. They sold possessions and property, gave to the poor. And the Lord added daily to the number of those that are being saved. We need to get back to that. Drop everything else. Yeah. These, I agree. I, when I hear that, I was like, you're right. Those are the essential tenets of the faith, of the church. D devotion to the apostles' teaching, breaking of bread, prayer, generosity, salvations, adding to the church. I believe those are the essentials. But the question is, isn't, uh, can we devote ourselves to those things? Because that was actually a picture. If you were to snap a Polaroid picture of the church early on, like right when it started, that's what the picture would look like. Acts 2, 42 to 47. But if you read Acts 3 through Acts 28 and then the epistles and the entirety of the New Testament, you know what you have? Messiness of people's lives, conflict, sin, sides, church drama, all kinds of stuff. People dying because they lied on how much they were giving. It's like, whoa. The question isn't, can we devote ourselves to these, these tenets of the church? The question is, can we devote ourselves to one another in the face of messiness? Or will we cut and run? And we, we, we'll uproot ourselves and, and we, we won't bear any fruit because we're saying, you know what? This, this, is, this church is getting too messy for me. I'm going to another church. Only to realize, same thing. Same thing. So my challenge to this church I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, to stay put. And I love what Bonhoeffer said. He says, those who love the ideal of the community become the destroyer of the community. In other words, the more you think church has to be perfect, a utopian community of the church, there should be no drama, no sin, no messiness. Everyone get in order. Act like you're spiritual. It's like, man, you're the one that's going to undermine it most. Because in church, we should just be real with one another. Be open and vulnerable. And yeah, someone hurts you, it's like, you know what, just overcome the offense really quick. Just forgive, move on, and open yourself again. Be vulnerable again. Watch Frozen 2. No, seriously, you gotta open up your heart in order to live. Stay put in the church. Stick around long enough to get offended. Stick around long enough to, to, uh, to, to overcome the offense. Don't just run away. You got to forgive. Stay committed. Stay devoted to the fellowship. Stop church hopping. <laughs> Stay planted. Come on, somebody. 
Here's the reason why. You can't bear fruit if you keep uprooting. Okay, my last thing, and I'll close, is stay close to Jesus' commands. So you're thinking to yourself, man, hope deferred makes the heart sick. What do I got to do? Well, first, stay put. But secondly, like, stay close to Jesus' words. Second word of encouragement, stay close to God has a plan for your life. He has principles and commands that he's established for your life. They are perfect, they are pure, and they are found in God's word, okay? Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is active and, and alive, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul, spirits, joints, and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God is alive and active. It is pure. It is real. It never returns void. This world has a lot of teaching and doctrine that'll toss you around like a wave if you're not careful. I get so shocked at the abhorrent teachings that I hear Christians trying to live by. I see my fellow brothers and sisters, we've all agreed to follow this man, Jesus, and next thing you know, they're living through the prism and through the filter of Elon Musk, Ellen, Oprah, the Dalai Lama. And the, you know, I like all those people. Like Ellen's one of my favorite people, but she's not gonna dictate how I live my life. You know, Oprah, great, if you, know, if you like to watch her stuff. I, I don't know. I, I gave up when she moved to her own network because it's no longer free, you know, but anyways. <laughs> but it, it's, it's pretty shocking how many people say, I'm a Christ follower, but the principles you live your life by are not even in the Bible. Wow. And I'm like, man, we gotta go back to the author and perfecter of our faith, which is Jesus. Because I'm a firm believer, look, look, I don't think, and I'm not preaching against growing and, and, and listening to things and reading books. I love, I love all that. But I don't think at certain points we need more advice or books or podcasts or tweets. Because most Christians really, we're educated beyond our level of obedience already. Seriously, like, we don't really have to, like, argue over certain things like evangelism. Like, let's go out and tell others. It's like, no, I need to get a couple books to really build up my faith. It's like, no, like Jesus said it. Let's just do it. Like, oh, serving the poor and the powerless. Like, we should, we should have a vested interest in these families that are signing up because they have food insecurity. And as the church, we can meet that need. Like, that's not even something we should pray about. Why? Well, Christian, that's heresy. You should pray about everything. No, no, no. You don't have to pray with, about something Jesus already said to do. What I'm saying is we got to go back to the author and stick to his original. It's kind of like the telephone game. You guys ever played the telephone game? Like uh, I don't like to fly, so we like to drive everywhere. You know, our family, I, I just think there's something weird about being stuck in a metal tube 30,000 feet in the air with like 200 people. It doesn't make sense. Like it, sh it should. Okay, anyways, uh, I'm just a little more dark when it comes to that, but. So we drive, and then when we drive, we have to find games, and it's like a telephone game. The first person says something, whispers it to the next person, to the next person, and then in the end, the last person loudly declares what is hopefully the original statement. However, because of laughing and giggling, or a five-year-old kid named Levi who really can't talk that well yet, he will eventually, but the original command and original statement gets distorted and by the time the last person speaks, it looks nothing like, it sounds nothing like the original statement. And that's what we've done with God's word. Jesus has some pretty simple commands. They're like black and white. You don't even need to study it in Hebrew or Greek. Well, you need to be Greek. But uh, 
it's like pretty black and white. It's, it's, it's kind of non-negotiable stuff. And yet throughout the generations and then seeps in the culture and then like everything's relative. There is no absolute truth. And God, seek your own truth, man. It's like, wow, we need to go back to the original source. We need to go back to the original source and listen again to what's being said. There's nothing wrong with God's word. It's powerful. It never returns void. But we've gotten so far from the original command, we need to go back to the source. But first we got to admit there is a discrepancy, right? Because like uh, there is the Bible and there's the church in the Bible. And then there's the church of today. There are the Christians of the Bible and the Christians of today. And I stole this little bit from Francis Chan, a little struggling author and speaker. But uh, it, it, it's so perfect because it, it truly demonstrates why that is. Why is there a discrepancy between Jesus' original command and how far we've ended up as the church today? And the reason why is because we've stopped doing what Jesus said. We all know the game Simon says, right? Simon says, Simon says, stand up. Simon says, sit down. Simon says, turn around. Simon says, enough of this. All right, so Simon says, we know how to play that game. But what happens is in the church, we could play this game completely different. It's so weird, but in the church, Jesus says something and it's a totally different game. What Jesus says, you don't actually have to do it. You just have to memorize it. You just have to study it. You just have to quote it verbatim. But you don't have to do it, it's crazy. Jesus says make disciples, but are we actually making disciples? Jesus says to love and pray for your enemy. You don't need to study that any further. Pray for your enemy. But do we actually do that? It's like if I told my son Malachi, Malachi, go and clean your room. And he goes away for 45 minutes. And he comes back downstairs. I'm like, what's up, son? Did you do what I said? And he goes, no, 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 dad, even better. I memorized what you said. You said, Malachi, go clean your room. And I'm like, what? I didn't want to, I didn't say that so you could memorize it. Go clean your room. And he goes, no, 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 Dad, you don't understand. I'm going to study this in Greek. <laughs> How many of you guys know I'm getting up off my chair? I'm walking over to discipline him. But then he stops me and says, no, 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 Dad. Even better, I'm having some friends come over tonight. We're going to study what it means if it happened that I actually cleaned my room. We're going to study what that would actually look like. It's like, no. Sit down. So why do we think we can come before the judge one day and quote everything he said instead of just doing it? It's black and white. If we just read the book, stay close to the commands of Jesus, our lives will look as how he's intended us to look. The world says, follow your heart. Jesus says, follow me. The world says, don't talk about your faith at work. You could get fired. Jesus says, let your light shine. Don't hide it under a bushel. Do you know if you can get fired for your faith, that'd be one of the baddest things you could do as a Christian. Seriously, I would applaud you for that. The world says, cut people off. Jesus says, be reconciled. The world says, cancel plans via text. Jesus says, keep your word. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Or just don't commit at all. But stop canceling plans. I mean, Jesus doesn't explicitly say that, but you can infer <laughs> The world says, uh, you're not responsible for others. Take care of yourself. Jesus says, go the extra mile. The world says, post your generosity on social media. Jesus says, give to the poor in secret. The world says, pad your crib on earth and save. Do you know Jesus does not actually say save? Jesus says, no, 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 no. Store treasures in heaven. 
through your generosity. The world says, believe your own truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. The world says, fear everything. Jesus says, fear not. The world says, keep a small circle of friends. Jesus says, include everyone. The world says, take revenge. Jesus says, love your enemies. The world says, clap back. Jesus says, turn your other cheek. I won't go on and on, but what I'm saying as a church is, when our, heart, when, our, when our heart is getting sick because our hopes are deferred or our dreams are a little crushed and we're kind of in this waiting season, the only encouragement I can give you is just stay put and then go back to the original source of your faith and stick as closely to his commands as possible. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But church, today I say stay strong, stay put. Don't cut and run. Don't escape under the pressure. Don't settle for cheap substitutes. And stay close to Jesus' commands. Don't just memorize what he said, but obey and live it. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.